electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Right now on Last Call, are we building two parallel economies, the so-called conservative alternative to shopping skyrocketing in its public debut? America's ambassador to China brazenly hacked. We're going to have the breaking developments. If you thought the summer air travel nightmare couldn't get any worse, you may be very, very wrong. The points guy is here. It pays to live in California. It does for once. Why the billion-dollar Powerball winner should thank their lucky stars that they actually live in California. Plus, the man who ran a $7 million Ponzi scheme all under the nose of one of America's biggest brokerage firms for a decade. How did he get away with it for so long? We investigate. And messy mania kicking off in Miami. How the soccer superstar may be a one-man stimulus package for sports in South Florida. All that and much more over the hour. So belly up or buckle up. Last call is up right now. Well, good evening here. Good afternoon out west. I am Brian Sullivan. Okay, all of that and more ahead. But first up on last call, the markets. And the amazing run this year just keeps going, at least for the Dow. All right, the other indexes today, they finally cooled off. They declined a bit. The Dow 30, though, it rose again, which makes it a nine-day win streak. That, my friends, the first time that has happened, nine days, since 2017. And while the Dow Jones Industrial Average is not up nearly as much as most other indexes over the past year, there are some big stocks that have just been on fire. In fact, look at these returns over the last 12 months. These are the top five Dow stocks. Apple, it's done great, up 26%. Microsoft, better, 32%. Look at Boeing. Boeing is up 35% in 12 months. J.P. Morgan Chase popping 36%. But the best performer in the Dow in the past year is tractor maker Caterpillar, surging 45% in 12 months. You go, cat. Speaking of animals, the dog of the Dow, on the other side of that, the worst performer, Verizon. It's lost investors 31% of their money. Kind of hard to believe, given we, you know, all use these things all day long. All right. So can the Dow's hot streak continue? Let's bring up our panel. Bring back in Truist Wealth Coke Chief Investment Officer Keith Lerner and Carson Group Chief Market Strategist Ryan Dietrich making his second appearance in a week, Ryan, and we appreciate it. So, Keith, I will start off with you. I know you guys have turned a bit more neutral, but what do you make of what's going on with the market? No matter how well you thought it might do this year, I think it's probably outstripping most estimates. Yeah, well, great to be with you, uh, Brian and Ryan, tonight. So I think if you go back to uh, you know early in the year, I think we had sentiment that was one-sided, and once you broke above 4,200 on the S&P, a real kind of you know technical level, that's when we upgraded our view on stocks. 
And I think, you know, we're seeing the economy being somewhat more resilient, a little bit less interest rate sensitive than expectations. So I think what you've seen over the last, you know, few weeks here is a continuation of that. And what's interesting, you talk about the Dow Jones being up, you know, nine days in a row. As of July 7th, the Dow Jones was only up like 1.7%. So it, this is part of a catch-up trade. And it's a phenomenon where you might see the headline index because, you know, big cap tech taking a break, yeah. kind of flatline a bit. But below the surface, there's some, there's some better action. You know, and Ryan, obviously, we all know our viewers don't tweet me and say nobody watches the Dow. I get it. Nobody's trading or indexing necessarily off the Dow. But you know what the Dow does get? It gets a lot of non-CNBC attention. It's what people read about in the USA Today or on their local news channel or whatever it may be. And I just wonder, maybe you get calls from clients or prospective clients, how much this run is starting to renew more attention from sort of you know, sideliners in the stock market. Yeah, yeah Brian, Brian, it is, we're seeing that, but I do have a question for you. Yesterday uh -oh. was your birthday, right? It was, yes, sir. I'm So 52. the over-under on Guinnesses, it was four. Were you over-under yesterday on Guinnesses? What was it? No, if you know me, it's I'm more of a Cabernet guy, and shame on okay. me for being the Irish guy, but yeah, my, no, Guinness, Irish. Is, okay. you know, Guinness, uh, it's, it's good for breakfast, but that's about it. Okay. Well, happy belated birthday, Brian. Thank you but, very much. No, back to this. I mean, yeah, we're hearing that, right? Because the Dow people follow. But, you know, I think the theme is this, the broadening out. We just released our mid-year outlook at Carson Group last week, and we said expect more broadening out. It's not just tech communications. We are seeing that. So, you know, maybe if you want to be more neutral, the market, because maybe the tech names come back a little bit like we saw today, that'd be okay. But those other areas, those industrials, I mean, I didn't realize Caterpillar is a leading in the Dow. I mean, a lot of people do this for a living, might not realize that, but those industrials have been doing great. Now, here's the stat I think people should listen to. Up nine days in a row in the Dow. Okay, we get it. I went back, Brian, in history. You know, 85% of the time a year later, the Dow is higher when it has a nine-day win streak. That's well, how many? How two. many? Okay, back at you. I'm going to ask you a yep. question since, you know, yep. you are the guest. How many times has it had a nine-day win streak? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, back to back to World War II, I found 28 times. Okay, there are 28 times, and a year later, higher 85% of the time. Here's the real good one, though. The last nine times, we had a nine-day win streak. It goes back to the late 80s. One year later, Dow was higher every time. So again, lots of things to look at, but this blast of strength that we're seeing in the Dow, I think is meaningful. Yeah, maybe people don't pay attention to the Dow as much as other things, but I think it's meaningful yeah. that something's going on there, Brian. It's bullish. Yeah, and Keith, you know, you and Ryan are two of the best in the business out there at kind of finding these cool stats. I used to rip you off all the time, Keith, on my random but interesting, and I still will, by the way, down the, down the road. These historical stats, so they're cool. I mean, they're, they're really interesting, do they do they matter though? Is that enough to, to make you swing a little more bullish? I, listen, I think the stats are important. It gives you context and it also can remove kind of the you know automatic reaction that something that moves up you know nine days in a row means it's bearish when historically uh, you know as mentioned it's it's a positive signal. So I think it's a starting point, but I think you do have to lay on you know what's different about each cycle, what's the same um, as well. And you know another interesting stat around the Dow, what I looked at on. Over the last six months, it had underperformed the S&P by about 14%. And if you look back, that's the biggest underperformance since March of 2000. So that was also notable as well. But again, I think that tells you there's probably a bit more catch-up trade there. People are looking for a place to go. There's a lot of folks yeah. that have missed the rally. So I think that's what's, yeah. what's happening. Keith, back to you. Okay, we had Taiwan Semiconductor, biggest semiconductor maker in the world by far. Numbers weren't good. Kind of brought down a lot of the, the, the red-hot NVIDIAs of the world, the AMDs of the world, some of the AI players. They got hit today. So the NASDAQ and the NASDAQ 100 cooled off dramatically. I know it's just one day, right? It's just one day. 
Do you, are you bullish on still this big cap tech or are there better places, even if you're neutral on the macro markets, are there better places out there? Maybe small caps, to Ryan's point, maybe regional banks, which got beat up to make some money right now. Sure. And our position on tech, we upgraded tech in March. We are still positive on tech, but I think it's due for a breather because I think just expectations got high. I will say, you know, later in the year, if we start to see some of these Fed hikes, you know, help cool the economy somewhat, I think tech will be just fine because even if the economy slows down, um, companies are going to have to invest in tech, otherwise fear of you know being left behind. So I think tech's in a good space. It just is a bit overcrowded short term. I think those other areas, the mm. average stock, there's an index called the S&P Equated Index. We, we highlighted that early in June. That had one of its biggest underperformances, just like the Dow. We think there's more juice to go with that and more outperformance near term. And, and Ryan, you, and we you, also, you, like, you, know, you like small and mid caps, Ryan, correct? That is correct. We don't see a recession. I mean, we, we just simply don't. Look at today's Philly Fed. I know the headline number is bad, but what they're saying six months out, one of the largest two-month jumps we've seen since when? Mm. Since the 90-91 recession ended. So again, we're seeing these positive signs, uh, Brian, on the economy that we'd stick with small and mids overweight for the rest of this year. I, I remember 91. I was 20. Those were good years. Ryan Dietrich, yeah. Keith Lerner, thank you both very much, guys. Appreciate you staying late. Thank you. All right, so we gave you the overall numbers. Here's your stud and dud du jour, the biggest winner of the day. I mentioned banks, Zion's Bank Corp, 10%. Regional banks, by the way, lately, watch them. They've been red hot coming off their deposit exodus crisis earlier this year. The biggest decliner, a name we showed you live last night, Discover. Remember that news kind of came out during the show, fell 16%. Credit card company getting caught up in some accounting issues around the potential overcharging of retailers. Discover got crushed. All right, let's get an early look at the futures very, very quickly here. I'm not doing nothing. All right, we are just getting started on last call. And up next, a stock tied to Trump's media company, reaching a major settlement with the SEC in shares. They're soaring. Plus, it's never quite paid like this to live in California. The huge tax break coming to the billion-dollar Powerball winner. And, by the way, the real amount the winner will actually take home. And trust me, that number it will surprise you. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Calling all operatives. From now to March 30th, MGM National Harbor invokes your skills to play Covert Cash, a spy-themed kiosk game series where classified missions, hidden rewards, and daily thrills await. Sign up for MGM Rewards to play and unlock up to $25,000 in hidden free play daily and entries into our grand escape car drawing on March 30th. Visit MGMNationalHarbor.com slash Covert Cash to begin your mission. Must be 21. Please play responsibly. For help, visit MDGamblingHelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, time for tomorrow's news tonight. First up, the SEC settling fraud charges with Digital World Acquisition Corp. That is the company trying to take Donald Trump's true social media platform public. The SEC said the Digital World misled investors by failing to disclose its SPAC deal to acquire Trump Media and Technology Group before the IPO. DWAC will have to pay $18 million in civil penalties 
if the transaction goes through. The stock, though, soaring into the green. In fact, it's up 25% right now. Meantime, Florida-based transportation company CSX, better known as a train company, posting earnings today. Profits, they were down due to fewer shipping container deliveries. They are one of the largest rail companies. They operate more than 20,000 miles in the U.S. and Canada. Shares dipping about 5% after hours. And a quick programming note for you, CSX CEO Joe Heinrichs. Heinrichs? Who knows? Joining Squawk on the Street tomorrow at 10 a.m. He knows. We should ask him. All right, next up and a possible huge scandal. The Wall Street Journal reporting that Chinese hackers accessed the email accounts of two senior State Department officials, including Ambassador Nicholas Burns, as well as the Assistant Secretary of State for East Asia. According to the Journal, hackers were limited to unclassified emails, but still a startling and brazen cyber attack on major American political officials. The White House National Security Council has declined to comment on the matter. Finally, on a much lighter note, AMC is scrapping plans to charge more for the best movie theater seats. They said they would, quote, pivot away, corporate speak, from the plan under the idea. Evening movies would have had three tiers of pricing with jumps of a dollar or two per seat for the best spots and a discount if you get stuck in the front row like Bob Euchre. All right, still ahead. That billion-dollar Powerball winner is going to love the tax rate in California. And we're not kidding. The numbers, you got to hear. Plus, do you buy stuff based on how you feel about a company's politics? One man is hoping you will. And he joins us. Coming up. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. All right, time for your daily RBI. And this one is a little sad for everybody except one person because we didn't win the Powerball and apparently neither did you. But somebody out there is very, very happy and congrats to them because they just won a $1 billion jackpot, a billion at least on paper, because the actual payout is going to be far, far less. Here is the lottery math you may not hear much about. All right, so you win $1 billion. You decide to go with the one-time cash payout instead of the 30-year annuity. Most do. That cash payout is just over $558 million. But that is before tax. Now, the government will automatically withhold 24% in federal taxes. So that's about $134 million off the top. But that's not it for taxes because now you're in the 37% tax bracket with those winnings, which means you're going to write another check to Uncle Sam for about 72 and a half million dollars. And what about state tax? Well, this is random, but lucky for this winner, who's already lucky enough, by the way. California is one of the few states that doesn't tax lottery winnings. Hard to believe that California is on the list for actually not taxing something, but it's true. So that means there is no state tax owed, which means when we add it all up, the winner of the $1.08 billion jackpot will actually take home 
$351.6 million after taxes and fees, just over one-third of the actual prize. By the way, it doesn't stink either. If the ticket was sold in New York State, the winner would bring home $290 million of $1 billion, $290 million because of sky-high state taxes that are on lotteries. That would be the lowest state payout. By the way, if you're wondering, whoever's out there, maybe you're listening. You're like, hey, I'm a new CNBC viewer. I'm rich. You can also take it as a 30-year annuity payout. You'd get $22.7 million per year for 30 years. That's $680 million. Nearly double the cash one-time payout. But for someone, nobody ever, nobody ever takes that. So I'm going to ask you, what would you do? Let us know on Twitter as well, at last call CNBC. Random but interesting. And congrats. Believe it. $351 million, Still a lot of money. Congratulations. All right. Meantime, forget red and blue states. Apparently, there are very real red and blue economies developing around America. Companies like Red Balloon, Old Glory Bank, Old Guard Pet, Mimi, and now Public Square have found success marketing their businesses to patriotic Americans or those with more conservative values. Public Square bills itself as the conservative alternative to online shopping. It actually just went public today. And look at the scene at the NYC this morning. There you go. And investors, they cheered it too. The stock more than doubling, finishing up 114%. Question is, how much bigger could this so-called parallel economy get from here? Joining us now is Omid Malik. He is the chair and CEO of Columbia Acquisition Corp. They were the blank check company that merged with Public Square, making that stock debut possible. Uh, Omid, great to have you on CNBC and Last Call. Congratulations on today. What a public debut Question is, how sort of big is this so-called economy of, of shopping and spending where you may identify socially or politically? Yeah, absolutely. So I actually call it the EIG economy, which is in stark contrast to the ESG economy. EIG stands for Entrepreneurship, Innovation and Growth. So they're definitely more patriotic and traditional in nature. But I actually think it's uh, one of the largest economies in the world if you actually just look at it by GDP. So take, for example, just the people that voted for Trump in 2020. That's about 30% of American GDP. And that equals about 7 trillion of GDP that we believe is completely untapped. That amount of money puts it ahead of India or Japan and just behind China. And I think it's stipulated that most multinational corporations uh, that are domiciled in the United States are not marketing to these people. And you can see that just in the past few weeks when Anheuser-Busch, Target, uh, ben and Jerry's have lost about $52.5 in market cap. So people are boycotting in the yeah. past, but they don't have any solutions, Brian. And so all we're trying to do is give them choice, which I think is actually as American as apple pie. Well, yeah, and then maybe they could buy the apple pie from you. Who knows? But, you know, maybe, it, yeah, I think we have apple pie. You might, you might actually have apple pie in there. I mean, you said it's untapped, but these people are already shopping somewhere, wherever that may be, Walmart or wherever it is. Why is it untapped? Because I'm assuming they're spending their money somewhere now, which means to win, you're going to have to take them from somewhere else. 
Yeah, we already are. So the platform has only been live nationally for 11 months, and we already have 1.1 million registered users. That's not just someone that goes on the site. They're actually adding all of their biographical data onto the platform. That speed of growth is faster than Twitter, Airbnb, or Spotify achieved that. In fact, that's as fast as Facebook did it. So I just told you, I think that this market is probably at least the 73 million that voted for Trump, but we know it's more than that. It's probably 100 million. And I have already 1.1 million on the platform. So that's 1%. We haven't even scratched the surface. I mean, if you look at a comp, for example, Etsy, that's a $13 billion market cap just for digital advertising. That's only one of three business lines we're going to have in this company. And when we price this company, we priced it at 200 million. Okay, so we've already over tripled the market cap in one day. So I think it's huge. And we haven't even started. ESG has been around for 13 years, Brian. We've been around for about 11 months, so I'm excited to see if we can be a multi-trillion dollar uh, economy as well. Well, I want to hear what you're going to do with your capital, but, it, you know, if you're a capitalist, by the way, Omid, I'm assuming that you are, my, well, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking right now, you just made a boatload of money off that side. Why not do the same thing, start a new company on the other side of the political spectrum? Why not? Have it, have it, have your cake or your apple pie and eat it too and have one, one for one side and one for the other. And then maybe a third that's decidedly purple right down the middle. So the thing is, is, my thesis, and it's just mine, so I might not be correct, is that I actually think most companies are already targeting the side you're describing, which would be more left or whatever you want to call it, but certainly more progressive. I do believe, again, in the marketing campaigns, like I'll, I'll pick Bud Light again. I know it's a bit hackneyed at this point, but look at Bud Light, look at Target, um, you know, look at Ben and Jerry's. There are huge backlashes to what they're doing because they feel like they're marketing to such a small amount of people. I think this is the untapped side. I think those folks are already getting a lot of products kowtowing to them. Um, and again, I'll say it again, this is just choice for them. Um, and I think it is going to be very exciting to see where it grows from here. And it just doesn't include consumer products, Brian. There's other opportunities as well. I, I think we're at a period right mm -hmm. now of deglobalization. I think you'd agree with that. You know, for the last 20 years, it's been all about expanding and globalization, China, making our products over there. There is a backlash yeah. to that as tensions increase between our two countries and this rivalry intensifies. And so there's also a desire to have companies manufacture things back here, um, not just products, but also things around minerals and other national security issues. So you can invest in those as well. And then ESG, I, I know people think this is all talked about too much, but in 2019, the business roundtable suggested that we were moving from shareholder primacy to what they called stakeholder capitalism which means, as you know, you're not just considering the shareholder. You have to consider all these other constituencies. Yeah. Well, there's people out there like me, I went to law school, who think that's wrong. That's not the American way. And so we want to prioritize that. And so to that end, it's not just this deal that I took public. I also have a fund called 1789 Capital that's going to be investing in this parallel economy. So I'm putting yeah. my money where my mouth is. Yeah, you certainly are. And we kind of nibbled around the margins, Omid, on politics. I want to go a little bit deeper only because a lot of people may not be familiar with you, but you are a top donor for Ron DeSantis' presidential campaign. You co-hosted a Southampton fundraiser, which I think literally just ended minutes ago, or maybe it's still going on. The governor obviously had a lot of momentum uh, a year ago, maybe a number of months ago. It seems to have stalled out just a bit, maybe even come down in some of the polls. He's at 22 percent on the political betting site. Predict it. How does he get some of that mojo back? Or do you and other big backers have to start poking around elsewhere? 
Well, I mean, I, I think it's extremely early. So that's the first thing I'd say. Um, what I will also point out is that I'm someone like a lot of other folks that lived in New York for a long time and during COVID moved to Florida, predicated on his policies. That's what attracted him toward uh, to me very much so is that he was a liberty first politician during what I felt were draconian lockdowns and so on and so forth. So that's why I was a big donor to him and have been uh, as governor. As it relates to his presidential campaign, um, it is just getting started at this time. This is when people were saying that Hillary Clinton was going to be president, uh, you know, back in 2008 and no one was paying attention to Obama. So I think when we look at the national polls, that's helpful. But you also have to start analyzing the early states, uh, you know, Iowa in particular, Brian, that's going to be, I think, a much more competitive battle than just looking uh, yeah. nationally at this. But that said, you know, I'm also hosting a dinner um, for Robert Kennedy on Monday in the Hamptons. Oh. I'm someone uh, which might strike people as very weird because he's a Democrat and DeSantis is a Republican. But from my perspective, and it's consistent with what I was telling you about my business interests, I'm for liberty first candidates. I yeah. don't consider myself a Republican or a Democrat. I'm an American. I just look at the policies that I think are important and then try to find people that I think are pushing liberty first. Uh, and that's exactly what yeah. I'm trying to do with Public Square as well, as well as Robert Kennedy uh, and Governor DeSantis. Yeah. And, and Robert F. Kennedy Jr., by the way, is the only one of the candidates or current office holders who I've actually met and talked to in person when he was doing Riverkeeper stuff back on the environmental oh, wow. on the environmental okay. side. You know, listen, uh, there was a it was big hearings today. He was getting attacked by Democrats. Um, I will say this, you know, because every headline he read said they all they do is talk about anti-vaccine. Well, he said today on national TV, as much as it was carried, that he is fully vaccinated. So is his family for, and have been for decades for everything except COVID-19. I only bring that up, not for his medical records, Omid, but because every article pretty much leads with that. He doesn't shy down from the conversation. He does engage. But if he wants to be, a, you know, a more viable candidate than he is now, he's going to have to start talking about the economy. He's going to have to yes. start talking about his tax policies. Does he have th those platforms and how does he get uh, the ability to just shy away from every headline saying anti-vaccine or which we or anti-vaxxer, which we know he is fully vaccinated. He said it today for everything but COVID-19. So how do we move the dialogue along for him or is it is it too late? Is he DOA? Well, no, I think it's the reason why your show is popular and I wanted to come on here is you have all different types of people on here. You're not trying to just appeal to one group. So that's why this show is a success. And that's why also there's a lot of independent media. The way that Trump used Twitter in, in uh, 2016 successfully to kind of circumvent, you know, conventional means of talking to the, to the people. Uh, Robert Kennedy is doing that very, I think, effectively on independent podcasts. You know, he goes on to Joe Rogan or Russell Brand, and that's how he's getting his message out to tens of millions of Americans. Uh, you know, if he's not getting reception from where other Democrats do, maybe on CNN or something like that. And I agree, he's definitely got to expand the platform outside of just the vaccine issue. But as he said himself, he's not anti-vaccine. He's someone who wants safe vaccines, which I think everybody wants. And that's, you know, only one aspect of his platform. But what he's yeah. great on, and I think you and I both agree on this, hopefully, is that he feels a Democratic Party that he belonged to or still belongs to uh, in some way has become a party of censorship and war, that they're more interested in censoring views that they don't like and have become much more bellicose as it relates to conflicts abroad. And that's not the party he remembers that he was a part of. And mm -hmm. look at who was attacking him today on Capitol Hill. It was all Democrats. It's like, this it guy's was, a Kennedy. 
it's crazy. It's like someone related to Lincoln being attacked by Republicans. That's how nuts it was. We're in a very weird place, but I guess that's why you can be a donor to DeSantis and Kennedy. Well, and I, you know what? Uh, we're going to leave it there. But uh, Omid, uh, I really appreciate you coming on. And I, by the way, I appreciate the compliment on the show. It's what we're trying to do. We actually keep track on this show of how many Democrats or Republicans we have on. We try to keep it right at 50-50. We may lean a little more this way, this way, certain days or weeks. But that's the goal of this program. And so we do certainly appreciate uh, you coming on, RFK Jr., by the way, DeSantis, President Biden, yeah. they're all welcome anytime with us and last call. Omid Malik, thank you very much. Thank you. And I'm going to tell them all to come on because it was great speaking with you. I really appreciate uh, it. Um, we appreciate it more. Thank you very much. Thank all right. Still ahead, this former Morgan Stanley financial advisor ran a Ponzi scheme under the firm's nose for a decade. Find out about efforts to hold one of America's largest brokerage firms accountable. A CNBC investigation is next. All right, welcome back. A former Morgan Stanley financial advisor is headed to federal prison after he admitted running a multi-million dollar Ponzi scheme right under the firm's nose for a decade question everybody's asking is, how did he get away with it for so long? And why is Morgan Stanley fighting against giving the victims their money back? Scott Cohn has a CNBC investigation. You were about to hear a bald-faced lie. How do we know it's not a Ponzi scheme? It's not. I mean, the money's there. It is a Ponzi scheme, and the money is not there. Sean, why'd you steal all the money? Well, thank you. Have a good day. That's Sean Good, sentenced in May to seven years in federal prison for running a $7 million scam while he was a financial advisor for Morgan Stanley here at the firm's branch in Wilmington, North Carolina. You sorry at all for what you did? Thank you. Have a good day. Caitlin Andrews, who recorded that phone call, was his biggest victim, losing pretty much everything she had, more than one and a half million dollars. It feels violating. It's not so much that I hate him or am angry at him. I'm more just sort of standing here an open wound. She says she planned to use the money from a divorce settlement to raise her two sons. You stole from your boys. That's the worst part. Andrews says she saw no reason not to trust Good, who was already handling her mother's accounts. He just seemed really invested in our family. Just seemed very trustworthy and friendly. Well, and that he worked for Morgan Stanley. Good would later admit that a Morgan Stanley product was at the heart of his fraud. Known as a liquidity access line of credit, the firm pitched it in videos like this as a way for clients to borrow against their portfolios. Access the cash you need to fund your goals with the strength of Morgan Stanley behind you. She was to transfer the money from her line of credit to him as her financial advisor. It was no risk, high yield, short term bonds. Instead, Sean Good was stealing the money. Sean Good spent that money to prop up a lavish lifestyle. European vacations, fancy cars, 800,000 in credit card bills. So effectively, Morgan Stanley is lending money to the victims of this scheme, and that money then gets diverted into Sean Good's pocket. All of it undetected by Morgan Stanley, America's sixth largest brokerage firm, for 10 years. They should have detected it and prevented it at the outset. 
Lou Straney is a 43-year veteran of the securities industry who consults on arbitration cases but is not involved with this one. The key here is the red flags very early on. As a supervisor, you're looking at the, the advisors that work for you and determine whether or not their lifestyle matches their income. Morgan Stanley declined our request for an interview. In a statement, a spokesperson said after discovering Mr. Good's fraud, he was promptly terminated for Morgan Stanley, that the firm is cooperating fully with law enforcement and working with counsel for Morgan Stanley clients to address their claims. Except it wasn't Morgan Stanley that discovered the fraud. Talk to us at all about the sentence. Sorry about Morgan Stanley. Thanks. Law enforcement sources say it was investigators from the IRS and the state. They were looking into Good's finances. Caitlin Andrews and the other victims heard it from them. I want my money and I want it in my hands. That's when she decided to confront Good and get it on tape. I have two boys. I am their only parent. This is all of my money and you took it. And you have it all. Caitlin, you have it all. We will get it all transferred back. If you go to... I, Listen, if you, this has been done outside Morgan Stanley, I'm well aware of that. And if they go to Morgan Stanley, they're, they will fire me. I mean, I will lose my job. It's a key to his scam, investigators say, keeping calls and emails on his personal accounts. The SEC says communicating like that violates record-keeping laws, a path for fraud. And for Morgan Stanley, it's not the first time. Last year, it paid a $125 million penalty to the SEC for off-channel communications and failure to reasonably supervise its employees in an industry crackdown that began in 2021. Sean Good pleaded guilty to fraud and money laundering. At his sentencing in May, he said there's no excuse for what he did, that the guilt and remorse is overwhelming. Caitlin Andrews was there, so were other victims. But not in court, nowhere near it, was anyone from Morgan Stanley. It doesn't surprise me that a person, a financial advisor, would steal money because there are bad people. What did surprise me is that a corporate entity as big and rich and powerful as Morgan Stanley, wouldn't do the right thing. Now, after our story first appeared on CNBC.com this morning, Morgan Stanley responded with a new statement, noting that the fraud committed by Sean Good was conducted outside firm systems and involved transfers to Good that were made from client accounts held elsewhere. The firm also notes that it has a settlement agreement in principle now with Caitlin Andrews and her mother, who also lost everything, and says the firm is working with all clients who've raised claims to amicably resolve them. Now, multiple victims tell us that not only did Morgan Stanley resist paying them, they say the firm has attempted to hold them to those loans that Sean Good convinced them to take out, including charging interest. Now, the judge did order Sean Good to pay $3.6 million in restitution, most of which prosecutors say he doesn't have. They say Sean Good stole around $7 million from Morgan Stanley clients. Morgan Stanley made about $11 billion in profits last year. Brian? Unbelievable and powerful story, Scott. Thank you for bringing this to us. Sure. Um, okay, Sean Good aside... Are there lessons here for anyone out there dealing with a financial advice, things that we can use from this horror story yeah. to protect ourselves with other financial advisors? Yeah, I mean, one of the obviously the hard lesson that these clients learned, and remember, these are all novice investors, was don't let your, your financial advisor kind of take you off channel the way that Sean Good did. Uh, don't let them communicate with you on not on the firm's email. Certainly don't transfer uh, securities or money to him 
outside of the firm's systems. Now, as far as the, the clients were concerned, this was their financial advisor. He was giving them advice. They equated it with Morgan Stanley. But it really you really lose a layer of protection there and a layer of accountability. And this is why the SEC has been cracking down on these so-called off-channel communications, not just at Morgan Stanley. There were 16 firms that were, that were charged uh, a couple of years ago. Mm. Scott Cohn, CBC Investigation. Scott, thank you. Really appreciate sure. it. Powerful stuff. Yeah. All right, coming up. Do you think your recent flight delays were bad? An insane airport story you got to hear that's topped off by a measly $12 check. All right, welcome back. In case you've been living under a rock, you know that this summer has been a rough one for flying. Hey, you've probably had flight delays or know someone who has. But check out these two travel tales. On Monday, a Delta flight out of Vegas was stuck on the ground for hours as temperatures soared. It was so hot on the plane that at least five passengers passed out on the plane. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg says they are, you know, looking into what happened. But as bad as that was... On Tuesday, a Hawaiian Airlines flight trapped hundreds of passengers at JFK Airport in New York for 33 hours, a day and a half. The flight missed its takeoff window after an odor was reported during a pre-departure cabin check, causing a cascade of delays. According to passengers, they were then only given a $12 food voucher for their troubles. And if you've been to JFK, you know it's about half a cup of coffee. Now, the flight eventually did take off on Wednesday. Just today, nearly 6,000 flights have been delayed, 342 have been canceled, and that's actually not even as bad as some other summers have been. So exactly what's going on here and how long will this last? Also, what rights do you have? If you get caught up in this, joining us, the points guy, Brian Kelly, I understand you know, listen, crazy weather, but weather, weather is crazy all the time. It's been raining here on the East Coast near Newark almost every day. Is this a weather thing? Is this a staffing thing? Because a lot of people quit in the last couple of years. Is this a heat thing? Is it D, all the above? Yeah, it's all of the above. It's been a perfect storm lately. You know, staffing issues, especially at the uh, an FAA flight you know, uh, air traffic controllers caused a bunch of delays recently, you know, and, and also at Baltier is the airlines are so packed, you know, they've all posted record profits this week. All their planes are in use. You know, that Hawaiian Airlines flight operates once a day. They don't have a bunch of jets just sitting around. So when these problems happen, you know, they really snowball into uh, into huge issues. And at the heart, though, is that $12 slap in the face is the fact that we don't have a passenger bill of rights in the United States. The airline industry has vehemently lobbied against that. And, you know, that same situation in Europe, if that was a European carrier on such yeah. a long flight, every passenger on that jet would have gotten 600 euros plus uh, the choice of a refund or rerouting at the time of their choosing. So they're definitely as as flyers in this country. We need to do more uh, to be treated better. We, because- we do. And by the way, Hawaiian Airlines, I think, has the best on time record of any airline, probably because they operate in Hawaii, where the weather is usually perfect. So they don't have weather issues. So that said, if you if let's say you're in charge, what would you do? What kind of change to the passenger's bill of rights would you add right now to make sure that people are indeed taken care of? 
Yeah, I think the biggest thing would be mandating, you know, just taking care of people, right? You know, the Department of Transportation has a dashboard where they've cobbled together every airline's, you know, own policy. Because right now, there are no government rules. So each airline's allowed to make up their own policy. And that's where that $12 voucher comes in. They get to decide what food or water they give. And what's happening with the understaffing is the gate agents are simply overwhelmed. So then there's a whole crowd of people attacking gate agents. We've actually seen gate agents have to leave airports with security because they've been attacked. And while that I don't agree with that, I can see people's frustrations just being, you know, misled over and over. So uh, you know, I think we need to have clear rules. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, you, you fly a lot. I fly a lot. I, I've got almost two million mileage plus whatever on United. Don't be mean to the gate agents. It's not their yeah. fault. And, you know, the people who scream at the gate agents, Brian, they're the ones who never travel. It's like the guy yeah. who's flying for the first time in five years. I demand or he paid two hundred and twelve dollars for his coach ticket to you know Cleveland. Um, but that said, there's a real staffing issue here. FAA stuff. They always want to blame it on the weather. I got insiders yeah. at United and other places, and they say a lot of what happened in the last few years with COVID and mandates got a lot of people out of the business. Can we get them back to normal in some way? You know, they haven't really done a great job of uh, recruiting the next generation of air traffic controllers. It's generally a low paid, high stress job. The other issue is pilots. We're, we're going to be facing a pilot shortage very soon. There's simply not enough pilots coming out of the Air Force and Navy like there used to be. It's really expensive. And, in, you know, in, in their intro uh, pilot salaries are $32,000. So there's a lot that needs to be fixed. Mm -hmm. um, but this this turbulence isn't going away anytime soon, especially as the weather patterns, as we've seen, it has gotten wackier and wackier. You know, June's been the hottest uh, uh, month on record. And, you know, the storms are coming harder. And so yeah. it's it's not going to get easier anytime soon. No, it's not. And that's why more people are driving. I'm doing it myself. And by the way, nice use of the pun turbulence. Thank yeah. you. Right. Appreciate it. All right, coming up, who needs Swiftonomics when you've got Messi Mania, the soccer superstar, maybe kicking off an economic boom for all of South Florida and soccer? Stick around. Messi Mania has taken South Florida and really America by storm. The soccer superstar is set to make his much-anticipated Inter-Miami debut tomorrow night. If you're thinking about going to the game, tickets, they ain't cheap. Top seats are being listed at up to $10,000. The cheapest, $256. Bucks. By the way, those cheap seats are usually around $25. All right, there is no doubt that Messi's arrival to Inter-Miami is a big deal for Major League Soccer, but what could it mean for the entire South Florida economy? Let's talk about it with Miami Mayor and Republican presidential candidate Francis Suarez and co-founder and CEO of RSE Ventures, Matt Higgins, also an investor in Shark Tank. And by the way, the former vice chair of the Miami Dolphins. So he knows from which he speaks. And we're going to show these valuations to our viewers, Matt, with the L.A. Football Club, the only MLS team at a billion dollars, L.A. Galaxy 925. You got Atlanta, Inter-Miami's on the list as well. How much is Messi going to lift all teams' valuations, or, or will he? I think it's a little bit of both. It's a brilliant deal. It's a win-win, I think, for everybody. It's a win-win mm -hmm. for South Florida, and they didn't even have to give away any equity. Uh, it's a win for David Beckham, who I think got the option on the team for like $25 million way back when. Now it's worth a billion dollars. So I do think it's going to lift everybody up. On the flip side, if you look at the specifics of the deal, they had to give, give him a piece of the uh, revenue stream with Apple. 
He got equity in the team, got $50 million a year. It's not exactly a scalable model for other teams looking to bring similar star power. If Messi got that, imagine what Mbappe is going to want. He's probably going to want uh, equity in Apple. So love the deal, <laughs> love the deal for the team, but I'm not sure how scalable it is. Yeah, you know, and he, okay, Mayor, Mayor Suarez, I'm going to say something because our director who's in my ear, he is from South Florida, and he, re, he helpfully reminded me that the stadium is actually in Fort Lauderdale. It's actually not in Miami. But that said, that said, how much is this going to just infuse money into your entire region? Well, first of all, not for long, because I did a stadium deal in the city of Miami, and hopefully it's going to break ground soon. And I'll tell you what's great about this stadium deal which is unlike any other stadium deal in America. The city of Miami put in $0. It is privately financed. It's going to generate for the city of Miami. This is not just for the ecosystem. For the city of Miami, um, uh, along the life of the lease, $2 billion conservatively, conservatively in revenue. In terms of the macro ecosystem, you know, you're talking about uh, an unveiling that uh, reportedly was watched by 3.5 billion people. That is half the population of the world. And when you consider the fact that Messi chose Miami over Barcelona and over Saudi, which gave him an incredibly lucrative deal. That means that people are picking Miami over a tremendously different, uh, great offerings uh, worldwide. So I think yeah. that also says a lot about the quality of life that you get in Miami. Uh, you only get to live life once, and a return on time is the most valuable asset we have. Is, it, is, the, uh, is the stadium deal done, or is it still in progress, Mayor? Stadium still is done. It's the done. So when's it like? Signed. When will it like? The, we'll go to the first Messi game in Miami. When in that new stadium? Hopefully, hopefully before 2025. Um, they haven't. They're about to break ground. I'd say they're going to break ground uh, shortly. They have to decontaminate the site, uh, and it's probably a 24 month build. So um, I'd say 24 months uh, from you know the three or four months take or give. Uh, Matt, I never like to hear decontaminate the site ahead of something whenever I'm going to build. But that said, I mean, listen, Miami's been Miami's been hot. The Dolph, your Dolphins, they're, they're getting better every single year as well. And, you know, you just wonder, you get a Messi that comes over here. I know, listen, he's late in his career, but he won the World Cup. He's still a stud. Um, are you bullish on U.S. soccer? Well, I've been bullish for a decade. My partner, Stephen Ross, and I, we created a company called Relevant Sports about a decade ago. We actually brought the Classico here, the match between Barcelona and Real Madrid for the first time since the 80s. It was in a, six years ago, and it was the highest grossing match on U.S. soil. We brought teams all over the, the, the uh, country. But you know what teams always say to us where they want to play? Miami. And it's also why we work to bring an F1 race to Miami. Nice we work on that. The, uh, I still haven't gotten an invite. To the, to the uh, F1, it's coming. Your birth wasn't your birthday yesterday. I'm a 30 right? so year car coming. racer. I still can't get even. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, that, it's, it's that competitive. Uh, congratulations, by the way. I, I, I talked to a very wealthy friend of mine who lives in Houston. He you know, owns some teams. I said, You need a second team in Houston. That said, Mayor Suarez, you got kind of a cool thing. Venmo, basically, a little donation, $1, and you get a raffle for what, two potential tickets to Friday night? That's right. There were two tickets to Friday. We actually just gave it away uh, this evening. So the, the, the uh, giveaway is over, ah. but uh, it was fun. It was very productive. And it was a great way to get people excited about Messi coming to Miami and get them uh, to donate uh, so that I can get on the debate stage. So we're asking people still to go on my website right above my shoulder at FrancisSuarez.com and donate a dollar so that I can get in debate stage and talk about great deals that we're going to do for this country, like the stadium deal that we did for Miami. That and Powerball both gone in the same <laughs> day. I mean, I don't know how I'm going to make it. It's, it's unbelievable. What a You'll come be okay. Down. You'll be yeah, okay. Matt, very, very quickly, would you buy, if you could, or start an MLS team right now? 
I think MLS is actually really good value. I have one concern, which is their model and their limitations on the salary cap make it very hard to attract star players. American, Americans love stars. And so that's my one concern. they got to fix their model. Yeah, well, you know how you fix it. And, Mayor, I don't know if, what, where Messi's living. You just give him like a used Carnival Cruise Line ship and just say, here, Messi, this is your new home. Just not, not a room, the entire ship. Matt and Mayor Francis Suarez. That's for for Mbappe. There you go. Exactly. Thanks very much, guys. Appreciate it. Quick programming note. July 25th in L.A., CBC and Boardroom will host Game Plan. Very cool event. Look at all the people that are going to be there as well. Sports, money, business. They all go together like Forrest Gump said, like peas and carrots. Thanks for watching Last Call. We'll see you tomorrow night. Have a good one. Shark Tank is next. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.